think of his grace and his mercy And oh yeah, how he loves me All I can do is thank him for blessing me He shields me from the hurt and the pain A touch from him and you will never be the same Yes, I gotta thank him for saving me I thank him for my blessings every day that I wake up. We were born into this sin, but he decided to save us. Wasn't grateful for my life, but now I thank him every night. Because without him, I'd be lost. Now the problem has been solved. I remember all the lies and all the times that I disguised. But now his greatness and his mercy was revealed until my eyes. I'm so alive, I rose up from the desert. I cannot help but give him praise. You should come along for the ride. All right, everybody. I want to thank you all for joining us for another episode of the Servant Leader Coaches Bible Study. I am your host, Coach Chelsea, and I'm super excited to join you all for, again, another chance, another day, another hour to get better, to just make it right. For the month of August, we've been talking about the fruit of the spirit and leadership, and it has been amazing. It's so funny, the servant leader we have on today, I was chatting up with her a little bit before we began to get started, and I told her it's amazing She has such a meek spirit just in us talking in her presence. And today we're going to talk a little bit about her servanthood. We're going to talk about some gentleness and just grow today. We have servant leader Julie Fournier with us today. I told her I was taken aback when I first kind of connected with her because her bio really reeled me in. She says, I got a handful of dreams and a heart full of God. And that right there had to be somebody I connected with. There was no way I didn't get her on here. She is the founder and CEO of Ball um, uh, Ball is Psychology. Uh, she also has an author. She has a lot of things that she's doing, and I'm so excited to have her on today. So, Julie, thank you for your time. I tell people all the time that time is that one thing in life that when we give it, we can't give it back. And I thank you for being on today. So I'm going to pass the torch on to you to say hello to our listeners, and we'll get this conversation started. Yeah, well, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited. This is going to be fun, but... Yeah, like she said, my name is Julie, and I'm the founder and CEO of Ball is Psych. So um, I'm going to get started first with a little bit of my testimony. Um, I was raised in the church by missionaries, so my parents were my role models. Um, and I got saved when I was like two or three years old. So I've been a Christian for a while, but I never really needed God growing up. It was like, I could go a few days without talking to him, you know. I would say I was dating God, but I wasn't really married to God, you know. Mm, like that's I good. Relationship with him, but he didn't define me. Basketball did, so that's a red flag right there. But I heard a quote once that said, "Pain is God's megaphone," and that is my story, one hundred percent. So when I was fifteen, I felt the worst stomach pain I had ever felt in my life. I spent six months in and out of the hospital, ambulance rides, ER visits, doctor's appointments, CT scans, blood work, the whole works. Um, But that meant no basketball. And it was around that time my dad posted a scripture on our fridge. It said, consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And that's James 1, 2 through 4. And I thought, pure joy. What? I'm going through the worst time of my life, and my dad is telling me I should be feeling pure joy? I'm like, I don't think so. So I had always been Julie, the basketball player, and suddenly that was gone. And I felt like I had no identity. And sometimes God lets you hit that rock bottom where you feel like you have no identity so that you realize he is the rock at the bottom. And that's what happened to me. I started to find my identity in God. And it was then that I realized I am loved and I am made whole by something much greater than the game of basketball has to offer. So that's when I started relying on God. And from that point on, I really needed God. Like, I wasn't dating God anymore. I was married to God. Like, I need him desperately because I can't go a day without talking to him. If I do, it's going to be a bad day for me and for everyone I interact with. Um, But he truly does give me this unexplainable joy 
no matter what I'm going through. And that was an extremely painful season for me. The doctors ended up finding out that it was Crohn's disease. And while I wouldn't wish that pain on my worst enemy, God used it for good, like Romans 8.28 says, because it was actually during that time when a friend introduced me to sports psychology, which I came to find was my passion. And that would not have happened had I gone through that hard season. So God doesn't promise us a life without pain. Instead, he promises not to waste our pain. He promises to bring meaning to our pain. But Jesus changed me during that time. Like the 15-year-old version of me is unrecognizable compared to me today. Like I was rude. I didn't really care about people. And I'm just completely changed now. Um, I just graduated from Colorado Christian University uh, with a bachelor's in psychology and an emphasis in biblical studies. And I'm also running my own business and writing a few books in my free time. Um, but it was never my goal to start my own business or become an author. All I tried to do was, you know, go where God told me to go, uh, love people, serve people, add value where I could. And God has taken me places beyond my wildest dreams. And my business has been successful, I believe, because of my faith. And I always say I feel a lot like Noah because it takes a lot of faith to build an ark when it's never even rained. And it takes a lot of faith to start a business before you own a laptop or to write a book before you have a publisher. When I started my business, I had no budget, no experience, and no plan. I just felt called. And I kept doing what God told me to do, and he handled the rest. And he called me to write a book during quarantine. I said, God, you got the wrong girl. I don't even have my degree yet. But God can use anyone. I'm proof of that. He's not looking for the most qualified people or the most experienced people. He's looking for the most available people. And if you make yourself available for God to use you, I promise you, he will take you places beyond your wildest dreams. That's where he's taken me, and he has blessed me so much. And the way I look at it, God could have given the idea of follow psych to anyone, but he gave it to me. So I want to be a good steward of what he has trusted me with. So today I'm going to talk a little bit about gentleness. Now, gentleness is defined as the quality of being kind, tender, and mild-mannered. Now, there's a big misconception that gentleness means you're weak or passive, and that could not be further from the truth. It takes so much strength and so much humility to be gentle. And everyone listening today is going to memorize my favorite Bible verse with me, Jesus wept. It's just two words. It's the shortest verse in all the Bible, but I think it says more about Jesus's character and how he wants us to care for others than any other verse. And just to give some context about this verse, he was crying over the loss of his friend Lazarus with Lazarus's sister Mary. And the strange part to me was he was moments from bringing Lazarus back to life. And he knew that that was about to happen. So why would he still cry? Why would he be so empathetic? towards Mary and so gentle. He could have said something like, which is what I would have said, stop crying. Like, don't you know who I am? Like, I'm Jesus. I could fix this with a snap of my fingers. But instead, he was gentle and he was present with Mary in her pain. He was there with her. He wept with her. And 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. It doesn't say cast all your anxiety on him because he'll fix it. Give your anxiety to him because he cares. And when we are in pain, when we're hurting like Mary was, we don't need someone with profound advice who can fix it, which is a lot of times our gut instinct when we come across someone who's suffering or someone who's weeping like Mary was. We need someone to be there, to care, and to gently walk through it with us like Jesus did with Mary. People need your presence more than they need your profundity. Be there for people and be gentle with them and empathize. It's why Jesus wept. And a few months ago, I was coaching 
an AAU team and one of my girls was going through the motions and she's walking in every drill. She's doing everything half-heartedly, acting like she doesn't want to be there. And as a coach, my gut instinct is to just say baseline and just make the whole team run until she gets it, until she starts taking it seriously. But I felt a little nudge from the Holy Spirit saying to go check on her. So I pulled her aside, I put my arm around her, and I asked, are you okay? And she said, no, my stomach has been hurting all day, and I feel terrible. So I let her sit out of practice for the day. But if I wouldn't have taken that gentle approach, then I would have made a mistake as a coach by making them run. And I'm all about being intense as a coach. Like, that's great. There's nothing wrong with that. But you have to look for those moments where the situation calls for gentleness. And I think your players will respect you more for that because they know you care about them and you're not just all yelling at them. You're there for them. That verse, Jesus wept, has changed the kind of friend I am, the kind of coach I am, the kind of leader I am, and the kind of woman I am. And before Jesus changed me, I was the complete opposite of gentle. Like my parents thought I was going to be a lawyer because all I did was fight and, you know, get into it with people. Um, I was far from gentle. But what Jesus showed us is that we need to be quick to listen, quick to be a shoulder to cry on, quick to empathize, slow to make assumptions, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And that's like one of my favorite verses says, James 1.19, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Now, it's much easier to be slow to listen, quick to speak, and quick to become angry. It takes gentleness to do the opposite. And how many relationships get ruined because we are slow to listen, quick to speak, and quick to get angry? How many mistakes get made because we are slow to listen, quick to speak, and quick to become angry? If you want to be a great friend, a great leader, a great servant, be more eager to listen than you are to speak. Jesus, who I believe is the greatest leader of all time, was quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And he was present in others' pain. And I think that's what gentleness is. I'm like sitting here and I'm so thrown because like I told you, one, just your voice and your calm nature and spirit just alone was so matched for this. And I was laughing because I'm sitting here taking notes and I'm laughing because in my stream, uh, Facebook wants to tell me I'm not me. Um, and whereas I could get upset, right? I could choose upset. Um, it, it is much like what you said when you opened up those trials that you endured, uh, you know, your health challenges and the things that you went through, those trials work patience, just like the word says. And I think it's so amazing when we can go through these things in life and God continues to build us up for our next. Mm-hmm. You know, I was talking last night uh, with uh, a, a guy, he's like my father. He's an amazing minister. He's an amazing former educator and coach, but he spoke on faithfulness. And what we were talking about is when we're tried, much like you said, with pain, God didn't promise that we wouldn't have pain. Mm-hmm. He would use our pain. And one of the things that I've learned is that every time we're tried and tried and tried again, it really teaches us and prepares us for our next of how you mentioned how it changed you as a person and it changed you as a coach to be just more sympathetic and empathetic to those around you. And I didn't know the before you, but what I do know is I can always tell a person who truly has been tried by God. It's just this, it's, I can't put a word on it. It's just a matched energy and you have it. And I think your, your words on gentleness was just so amazing. Thank you. Yeah, it's like I heard a quote once that said, everything you're going through is preparing you for something that you asked for. Mm. 
remember when I was a teenager, I heard about Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived. He had asked God for wisdom. Um, so I asked God for wisdom. And instead of wisdom, he just gave me trials. And Come like, on. This, this is not what I asked for, but it was. It was preparing me. And little did I know, it was preparing me to write a book called The Art of Embracing Adversity. So everything you're going through is preparing you for something you asked for, even if it doesn't feel like that in the moment. And that's the thing. And I was talking to you a little bit about this, you know, you gotta one, like you said, be careful what you ask for, because so, so often we ask God for blessings. We ask him to grant us things that we're not even ready for, right? We'll get there we haven't prepared. And so we have to make sure that we're also preparing, you know, praying that we're praying for God to bless us in that waiting moment, right? Like I keep saying that trial worketh patience and patience work, patience worketh hope. Um, it is, is a, is a very true statement in the word that I've learned about, but in speaking about gentleness again, and you were so amazing on that. I was talking to you a little bit before we got on about just everything that's going on in the world right now just different belief systems. Everything seems to be either your left or right, no matter what the issue is. Sometimes it seems like people just can't get on one accord for the sake of just getting on one accord. With what you're doing, tapping into mental health, I think is amazing, right? Uh, Because so often and prior to, honestly, in these recent years, I don't really think it's been talked about enough. Talk about the importance of gentleness, not when we don't know what a person is going through or enduring, right? Because we have to be mindful. We don't know what a person is going through in that day. So you talk about the importance of patience as it pertains to mental health of others and even yourself. Yeah. So you look at someone like Simone Biles, who had to sit out for a few different events in the Olympics. And a lot of people were like, just push through it. You know, what's wrong with her? And then she came out with the news a few days later that her aunt had passed away. And I think that's when a lot of people were like, oh my goodness, like she was actually going through something. I shouldn't have reacted the way that I did. I don't think we should wait to find out what the person is going through to start showing empathy. We need, our gut instinct needs to be empathy that everyone's going through something. Everyone, no matter how great it looks from the outside, Anyone could be going through the worst day of their life that you come across today. And so you need to respond with empathy, no matter what the situation is. And I think that's golden. And I think, you know, we're so quick to judge. We're so quick to, you know, feel how we should, we feel the situation should go not knowing what that person is enduring, not per- knowing what that person is going through. You know, it often amazes me and I sit back sometimes, you know, I think social media is great if you use it right. But it amazes me how everyone has an opinion. Not recognizing as my pastor would say, you know, just if, if it hasn't rained in your life, wait a while or keep waking up and saying good morning. And, you know, and it's so true. We can so quickly judge. I saw so many different things with, you know, Simone Biles and so many of our athletes. And it's amazing that you bring this up, Julie, because I was listening to some of Stephen Furtick's um, podcast this morning of his message on Sunday. And he was talking about listening to the documentary, uh, The Weight of Gold and all the Olympians. And it's amazing how they've been blessed with these talents right? From the outside looking in, it seems like they have the world in which in some cases they do, but what it takes, he said something that was so proud, profound. He said, it amazed me that a gymnast had an issue and was talking about how she couldn't balance her life. And I was like, whoa, like that blew me away when I was driving. And it was crazy because we look at these individuals because they're on the TV they're in the magazines, they're on social media, and we take away the human that's in them. Mm. And furthermore, we take away that they're God's child as well. And so that's how I look at individuals when, like Simone Biles, 
and so many others in different facets that we see placed in the spotlight. And, you know, I pray for them often because I know for me, I'm a very private person. So I wouldn't want all that I'm going through, you know, out there for millions to understand. But I think you said it best that we have to just be mindful. And I think it comes down again to that gentleness that you talked about. Um, If we can just consider that, if we can have that empathy and compassion um, and be slow to anger, but quick to listen, slow to speak and actually hear what that person, because sometimes if you're in tune with Christ, you can truly understand what that person's not saying. Mm. I think that's a big piece that we miss. Yeah. Yeah. There's this great story I like to tell about two lumberjacks and every day they start chopping wood at the same time. And every day they stop chopping wood at the same time. And every day, one of the lumberjacks disappears for about an hour. And every day that lumberjack ends up chopping more wood than the other lumberjack. And this went on for months. And finally, the one lumberjack was like, where do you go for that hour? And the lumberjack said, oh, well, I go home and I sharpen my ax. And so there's this idea of What if we'll get where we're going faster by slowing down and sharpening our axe? And I think that's what Simone Biles did. I think that's golden. And one, I've never heard that story. So thank you for that. So often when you have so many amazing minds um, and so much wisdom going through, sometimes things will carry through again, but I've never heard that. And I think that's so amazing. You know, and it also brings that scripture to me in Proverbs that talks about iron sharpening iron as well. Mm. And I feel that gentleness, if we embody that and exude that the way Christ has asked us to, you know, we can sharpen one another's, one another's iron. I feel what's happening a lot of time is we're dulling others because when we aren't quick to listen, but we're quick to speak, Right when we aren't slow to anger and we're quick to snap, we're sitting there not giving individuals a need. But just imagine, just imagine if we could truly be like those lumberjacks, right? Just imagine if we truly could take the time to build and lift someone up, not judge, but actually stop and wait. Now I tell people, instead of praying, P-R-E-Y-I-N-G, we should be praying, P-R-A-Y-I-N-G. I think we mix that up so often. And could you imagine the world that we lived in? I don't care what we look like. I don't care where we come from. But before we started to judge, before we started to snap, take a step back and change just that one vowel. Could you just imagine where this world would be at that point? Yeah. I think that's huge to to consider. Yeah, I mean, so much of it is about you know, where our mind goes immediately, because our Mm -hmm. first assumption is to judge. And that's normally where our mind goes. But if we could slow down and be more like Jesus and think, hey, what could this person possibly be going through? And then how can I show them empathy? How can I help them? How can I add value to them? And like you said, that's how we get iron to sharpen iron. For sure. And you know, it's amazing too. I want to shift for a little bit because you do, you You've answered a call. As you said, you know, God definitely laid some, shall I say, task, <laughs> some definite servant leader task on you. And, and, and the thing about it is in the midst of a very crazy time that we still are in, but in the midst of the pandemic where things were just, you know, new for everyone. This wasn't territory that any of us had crossed and traveled. But he laid it upon your heart to write a book. And the book that I definitely have been hearing a lot about that I want you to talk a little bit about is The Art of Embracing Adversity. And of course, hearing your testimony, it definitely makes a lot more sense, the title of this book. But talk to us a little bit about, you know, just how you received the thought behind this book, what it did for you to actually complete this task and what you hope that we can receive from that, from those that are reading it. Yeah, so it was probably uh, April in 2020 when I felt God calling me to write this book. So 
uh, I argued with him for a few months. I was like, no, 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 wrong. Go find someone else. This is not, I don't know how to write a book. I have no money to write this book, you know, no publisher. I don't even know where I would start. I'm just a little blogger. I just like to tweet. Just let me do that. Um, but he wouldn't leave me alone. So I got started on the book in June, finished at the, or no, I started July 1st and I finished at the end of July and then we published beginning of August. And um, that whole process was rough because I ran from God the whole time. He was calling me to do it and it was me getting in the way saying, I'm not qualified. And I had a professor tell me, Julie, it's not about you. It's about God. Get out of his way. And from then on, I got out of my own way. I stopped the narrative of I'm unqualified. And I really just took on this idea of this is God. Like he wrote that book. That pen was just in my hand. Um, but yeah, it was written specifically for athletes going through a pandemic. Um, and God had been preparing me to write that for years. And I'll tell a quick little story that is in the book. Um, in the 1920s, boll weevils swept through the South and boll weevils are pesky beetles known for destroying cotton. And they specifically really destroyed the town of Enterprise, Alabama's cotton. Like their economy was devastated. And one farmer was so broke that his banker said, look, you cannot afford to plant cotton anymore. You have to try something else, try peanuts. So he tried peanuts and he was so successful that every other farmer in the town started copying him. And within four or five years, they were the largest peanut producing town in the United States. And they made a boll weevil monument because if it wasn't for that hard thing that they went through, they never would have gone looking for a better way to do things. And so that's really how I think we need to see adversity. It allows us to find a better way to do things. And that's kind of the message of the whole book. I think that's so golden. Uh, you know, oftentimes talking to servant leaders on this call, they have availed to, you know, the entire group, what God has tested them through, what adversity looked like in their lives. And I think it's amazing what you said is that how adversity shows us a different way. I think about the tests and trials that I've endured, and I think about how I am now versus, like you said, how you were prior to the pain and then after the pain. You know, it's like there's a song that says, please be patient with me. God's not through with me yet. When he gets through with me, I shall come forth as pure gold. And that's, I, I take that with me when I, when I hear adversity or when I think about the trials that, you know, God has taken me through because I can think back to ways that I would respond versus now. I could think back to how I consider or view things versus how I used to. And I can't, I can only attribute that, attribute that to the adversity and the trials that I went through. I, when I think back on that, I truly, there's no other explanation. There's no other source that I could give that to other than going through those trials. And it doesn't feel good when we're going through it. No, it definitely doesn't. Just like the word said, it says all things work together, as you said, for the good of them that love them. We love them, right? And called according to his purpose. But he never said it's going to always feel good. He just says they're going to work together for our good. And one of the things that I've learned in that is that he knows my good better than me. Mm, wow, that's good. God knows my good better than me. And it's amazing how we think so often that the good that we see is better than the good he hasn't shown yet. I tell people all the time, you really believe the good that you see is better than the good he hasn't shown yet. Mm. I always think about that little meme. I bring this meme up often and I keep it on my phone of the little girl in the depiction of Jesus. And she has this little bear, of course, and she says, but God, I love it. And behind him is this big bear. And he's like, just trust me, you know? And can you think about when we're going through those trials, 
and he's sitting there rooting us on. Because I tell people that all the time. I'm like, I truly just see God rooting us on, like, please pass this test this time. I can just see him. Like, come on, Julie. Come on, Chelsea. I've been in this position before. I'm rooting for you. You got this. Like, do not faint this time. And so often we want what we can see. So often we want right there what's in our hands, not recognizing that the definition of his good will always outweigh ours. Mm, That is so good. And I always say coming out of the storm, you're never the same person as you were going into the storm. Come on. That is the point of the storm. God always sends storms with a purpose. No pain is ever wasted. And that's what I love about that verse, James 1, 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy. We should whenever storms come our way, because we know we're about to change for the better. We're about to grow. We're about to mature. Our faith is going to be made stronger because of that storm. Surely. And, you know, you're talking to a scientist here, okay, by trade. That's my day job. That's what I do. And so oftentimes I talk to my students about what storms do. And after the storm, what happens? And it's always amazing to me because I ask them their opinions and ask them their questions. And you know, years ago, I'll never forget when there was a hurricane that came through um, Florida. And right, like, that's not every year, right? But um, there was an article that a student, they had to bring in current events and it talked about invasive species that entered after the storm washed away. And I'm always just thrown at how much what I do in science relates to how God handles things in our lives. When the storm happens and it calms, what comes after that? And it's amazing because you can't see it when you're in the storm. You cannot see it when things are all a roar and a blaze. But on the other side, it's another song that comes to mind. On the other side of through is a song that says, there's a blessing waiting for you. Hold fast, your trouble will not last. There's a blessing on the other side of through. And I love how you put that, that the God sends the storms with a purpose. They're just not just here. He doesn't ever want to see you struggle. You know, I can remember my mom saying, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you when I get in trouble and I'll be getting ready to get disciplined. She's like, this is going to hurt me more than it'll hurt you. And as a kid, you know, you're like, no, you're about to whoop me. (laughs) How is that hurting you? But you understand it because they see what they're trying to get you to be. They they know where you're going. And just like that, Christ is sitting there looking and knows how to prepare us, how to sharpen us, and how to make us ready. And so even though that storm is not going to feel good, it holds a purpose. That was amazing. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And you look at someone in the Bible like Job. The devil was talking to Jesus, and he was like, hey, I'm going to send this storm. And God was like, you know what? Go ahead. That's my faithful servant. Watch. And so you have to see those storms as tests. Come on. Like you said, rooting for you. He's betting on you. He knows you're his his faithful servant and you're going to handle it well. I agree. And can you imagine being that faithful? Wow. Being that like that just blew me, you know, of course, knowing the story of Job, But just in this moment, can you imagine being that faithful of a servant that God would be like, okay, go try him. You know what I mean? It's it's almost like when people are asking you a question, they'll tell you, you know, I'm gonna go ask such and such to see if, you know, they'll actually truly back up what you're saying. You're like, tell them, they have my back, I know. And to know that Christ really knew his servant enough to know that no matter what you threw his way, no matter even his wife, everybody is saying like, yo, won't you just curse God and die? And he's like, no, uh-uh. Everybody's dying left and right. I'm losing everything, but I'm still going to trust him. And that right there alone comes from those tests and those trials. It comes from those storms that he sends. And I think it's amazing because when he sends us through the storm, he can build that confidence in us that he had in Job. And that was a totally different perspective that just wowed me (laughs) in that moment. I want to be that servant. I want God to be like, try her. I know her. I know Chelsea. Oh, you want, go ahead. She's not, she's going to come out. Go ahead. You can throw whatever you want at her. And I promise you, oh, to get to that point. Yeah. I think that's something we should all aspire to get to. 
I agree. I totally agree. You know, a lot of times, you know, when we're speaking on this and servant leadership, it truly is, I don't want to say a lost art. What I truly do believe, Julie, is that it's never truly been fully explained and laid out in a way that everyone recognizes that even as powerful as Jesus was, he showed himself, he introduced himself as a servant. Mm. I mean, the most powerful person, he didn't have to do that, but he showed himself as a servant and also recognized and understood. I was listening to Christine Kane. I love her, Julie. So you'll hear me say it all the time. If you listen to every episode of podcast, she probably pops up 99% of the time. But she's a man. And I forget how the story goes, but ultimately the point was she said, he said, my name is in the Bible and that's how I live my life. So I'm thinking where she's going with this is he was named after someone in the Bible. He said, no. He said, every time I see servant, I just say that God is talking to me. And I thought that was big because so many titles and so many positions we aspire to be But at the end of the day, the most pleasing is to be a God's servant, to just have that here I am, send me mindset, right? And then when you do that, he can give you this platform that you are now the founder and CEO of. He can give you this book to write, right? And as you said, the best, he's the author. I just held the pen. I think that was so powerful. If we just yield back and say, I just want to be your servant. So what would you say to a person who truly wants to take on that servant leader role? What would you say to them they should embody? Hmm, That's a good question. I think the way to stay humble is to look for places to serve. And that's kind of how I started my business. I wasn't, you know, trying to be this great leader. I didn't even put my name at the end of my blogs. It wasn't on my Twitter page. I didn't even claim it. I just thought, you know, hey, here's a way where I can serve people and God can use me. So I think that's one way that people can become more of a servant. Just look for ways where God can use you. Just make yourself available for God to use you. And he will. I think that's good, you know, and you just keep, I'm that person. I'm a huge music person, Julie. So every time when people say things, I just hear this and it's, um, here I am, Lord, use me as you please. And and it just says, you can use me as your servant. I'm yours. Yeah, I'm not going to ask you to put me here. It's so funny. I, I, I remember being with kids who used to give them jobs. And you maybe had jobs when you're in kindergarten, the line leader, the door holder, right? And you wanted these jobs. It's like, oh my God, no, I'm the door holder this week. You know, I remember that so vividly. I remember being the one where, no, I'm the person that gets to clean up, Right. We took those jobs to heart, but were servant jobs. We jumped to do them. We yeah. jumped to hold the door for 24 of our classmates. We jumped to pick up the nap mats. Like we were so ready to do those jobs. And along the line, that gets missing. You know, it's amazing to me this day and age how that is missed. And I try so often with my young ladies to instill that in them. I hear coaches say all the time that one of the things they love to do is a lot of programs use the freshmen to carry the bags, to carry the equipment. And a lot of people I've heard differently this past year, it's like, no, the seniors do it because I need them to lay the foundation of what servanthood looks like. And that is a game changer. I think that's amazing because what better way to teach the younger? It's even a shift that I'm, I'm going to make. Once I heard it, I was like, I never thought about it that way. I always, when I was an athlete, you're a freshman, you're coming in, you need to learn to earn your key, you know, but I love the flip around because truly that is the only way that we're going to learn to be an open vessel. I don't care, God, where you send me. I don't care what it is you're asking me to do. I'm just going to be available. And if I'm available, you'll place me where I need to be. And I'm going to look for places to serve, not to be served, right? (laughs) Not for self-gain. I'm going to look for a place to serve. And I think if all of us change our mindset that way, could you imagine the way this world would just turn? Wow. Yeah. And I think we do have a backwards approach to leadership by having the freshmen do all the dirty work and (laughs) 
pay their dues. Um, it's like one of my favorite books, just the title, Leaders Eat Last. Come That's on. I love that. And it's, but you know, it's funny to me that we always say, and we hear all the time that, oh, this generation is different. Oh, this generation coming up, you know, they just don't have it. They just don't understand compassion. They're so selfish and self-absorbed. And, and often I take a step back because of course I am into mentorship. I am in education. I am in coaching with the youth. And I watch often. And what I tell people all the time is, well, how did you learn? We learn from emulation. We learn from model and example. So where did the disconnect come? If we're saying that this generation doesn't have it as we did, they this generation, you see, well, back in my day, you know, say, well, where did the disconnect come? Because they can only learn to be a servant leader. They can only learn to be available, right? They can only learn to look for places to serve if that's what they've been shown. Mm. So if they haven't been shown that, where did we stop? And that's what I tell people that I'm not making excuses for them, but this is really the whole meaning of this platform is truly building a playbook, if you will, for coaches and leaders and servants of all aspects to understand what it truly means to be available to serve. Yeah. And one thing my dad used to always say is more is caught than taught. And like you said, we learn from others modeling. So if we can be those models, a rising tide lifts all boats. We're going to raise the standard of those around us just by the way we act. You know, the world is changed not by your opinion, but by your example. So I think Come on. to lead and set the example, everyone around us will be a lot better off. The world will change not by your opinions, but by your examples. I just had to let that sit for a minute. I mean, because again, what more do we give of? It's sad, but we see more of our opinions than we do examples. Mm-hmm. You know, I tell people all the time that when I played, you know, my kids said, well, you're a trash talker, this to this, because, excuse me, of course, naturally, the young people, they think you don't have it anymore. Uh-huh. I tell them, I still have it. I have to space it out. You know, I have to soak a little longer these days after I show you what I have. Um, but, you know, I'll play with them and I'll jaw and say different things. And so, coach, did you used to talk junk back, back then when you played? And I'm like, you know what's so funny? I really didn't. I said, because I wanted the game to speak for itself. That was just me. I said, I'm not saying that it was anything wrong with it. That's what you chose to do. But for me, I just had a thing about my appearance on the court, right? And I wanted my game to speak for itself. And so when I hear you talk about that, like that we all can have opinions, but we make more impact (laughs) with our example, And I think that is definitely something as servant leaders that we truly have to remember and live by. Like the scripture says, a fruit, I mean, a tree is known by the fruit that it bears. And I think that that's where a lot of the disconnect comes from those who either A, are seeking Christ, or B, they've been here, but it was exposed to them differently. And now they're walking away because, you know, there's always a disconnect because If the tree is known by the fruit it bears, we were talking about this last night as well. What fruit are we bearing, showing? There's a disconnect. Yeah. And St. Francis of Assisi, he said, preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. And I think about that all the time because it's not always necessary to use words. Your walking needs to be your preaching. Your example is the loudest sermon you will ever preach. Your walking needs to be your sermon. Goodness, come on, Julie. I love that. And I think that's huge. It does. It's, it's, you know, I can, I can hear my mom right now singing, may the work I've done speak for me. Mm. You know, I, I, don't, I don't need anybody. It's so funny. I, I, wanted, I cringe if I am being awarded something 
or someone's reading my bio, I cringe. (laughs) Never been one that enjoys the spotlight or want it to be about me. That is just not a Chelsea thing. And even to the place where it's just like, I know I have to get this award and I know you asked me for my bio, but can you really not read it, you know? And I love it because it truly is the way I live my life. I don't care so much about how people pay attention to my accolades or pay attention to things that I've received or possess. I do know, and I always remind her of this, my big sister, she's like, she's my mentor, Brittany Ezell, coach for many years. And she always says, I don't care about the wins and losses. They're not going to be on my tombstone. Mm. It's like, I'm eulogy living. I'm not resume building. I am eulogy living. And that thing stuck with me because I was just like, wow, like that's huge. You can sit and hear your own bio, but when your life has been set, when you left your mark on this world, what legacy did you leave for others to follow? And that wowed me. So when you said that, that was huge. Yeah. And you look at when Jesus would heal people, sometimes he would say, now go tell no one. And I'm big into marketing and business. (laughs) You're making a huge marketing mistake right there. (laughs) To go tell everyone, but he would heal people and he would say, tell no one. And he was modeling something different that he's not doing it to receive the praise. He's doing it for the purpose of healing that one person, of giving that one person life. So I think he modeled the way that we should live and that we do great things and we say, tell no one. And we don't say, hey, I did that. I'm going to put my return address on everything I do. That's great. Jesus would do great stuff and he would say, tell no one. And I think that's just amazing. Right. I could not agree with you more. It is simply one of those things like, did you do it because you wanted to tell? Did you do it because you want people? Hey, look what I did. Come here, come here, come here. You know, and, and again, I don't know. Somebody may, may take this the wrong way, but it's just, it is what it is. It always amazes me when I see those videos of like, say for instance, someone buying a homeless individual something to eat and then they're filming them go in the store to get it. Mm-hmm. Cringe because it's like, I don't know, you know, I don't know if it was your intent maybe was if I show this, maybe more people would do it. I'm going to err on the side of that and hope for the best, but I truly do. I'm with you. And I use that portion all the time and how I live my life that these magnificent works and miracles were being performed. And you didn't say, Hey, you know, I'll be here at clock and come out and before dawn I'm gonna work a miracle come watch no 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 you perform those works and yes it was tell no one that was the purpose behind it and I think that in true servanthood if we truly are serving and leading as Christ would call and ask us to we're so focused on trying to complete the mission that we don't have time to put it on blast. We don't have time, you know, to my girl, Kristen Kane, she said, and I really do try to give everybody their, their, their own quotes. Cause it's not mine, but she says, my work and my job is not to be a spotlight. It's for me to do what he's called me to do to shed the spotlight on him. Mm. And if what I'm doing on a day-to-day basis says me, 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 and sheds light on me, I've missed the mark. I've missed the assignment because it's an, it's not about me. I'll tell people all the time, it's not about me. I'm trying to, I'm just a nobody trying to tell somebody, uh, anybody about somebody. It's not about me. And I think that's the approach we all have to take. Yeah. I heard a pastor say a few weeks ago, does your life point to yourself or does it point to God? And I was mm. like, ouch, I am convicted because so often we do things and we expect to get credit, but what we should be looking for is to give God credit. Our lives should point to God, and that's what servant leadership should be, and Bob Goff 
he says bright lights don't need spotlights and i think that needs to be our approach i agree and i think that's so perfect i think that you know at the end of the day if i've made it through my day and that doesn't mean that every other sentence i'm saying do you know god hey has anybody introduced you to jesus christ hey you know that's not what i'm saying but just as you said, our walking is our sermon, right? Our life is our message. It's one of those things where when you've lived your life, when you've done all that you can, if you really do take a back, like you said, when that pastor said it, you were like, ooh, there's times where it's like self-check. Am I doing that? Mm -hmm. Truly every single day, we are God's love letter. And when people read it, what are they reading? What do they read when they read you? And if they're reading it, again, that's where a lot of the disconnect comes. Because most people say, well, I'm not going to church because the church hurt me. Okay, understood. But Christ didn't. I put out a tweet, tweet the other day and I said, please don't allow, with some disrespect, please don't allow what man, imperfect man did to draw you away from what perfect God can do. Mm. And that happens so often. So we as servant leaders have to be more mindful in our walk, in our talk. And I tell people all the time, I say in my walk and my talk, well, we got to do more walking than talking. Mm, yes. and I think if we switch it that way, a lot of this disconnect doesn't happen because like you said, it's that example. It's the example that is more pleasing. Right now, I'm expecting, right? So I, I sit as I teach. That was not normally me. And I laugh because I'll get back up. Like I'll be trying to actually convey to my students what we're doing. And I'll say, yes, you know, this, 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 you do this. And I, there's just something in me because I'm a doer. I stand up and they're like, ah, oh, no, sit down, coach, sit down. What are you doing? You know, but it's in me to do because I know that if I can show you, you understand better than me telling you. In our day-to-day lives as servant leaders, we truly have to do more show. We have to do more walking. We have to do more action. Servant leadership is an action word. Wow. And I and I and I feel that if we all can take that stance, could you just imagine in every aspect in basketball psychology, right? And all the books that you write in all your endeavors that you may speak on, your blogs, you're walking. In my corners, I'm walking. Everywhere else, in every aspect, you know, my big sister, Jessica Kern Huff, former coach and now the first lady of Marshall football, she always says left foot, right foot. Left foot, right foot. And it's so, it's funny because it's so simplistic to say. Sometimes she'll just do the foot emoji you know what that means and if we can continue to left foot right foot if we can continue to do the walk of a servant leader not to talk could you imagine how many more people would jump on board with that type of living wow yeah and they did this study I forget where it was done but they had students who were on their way to go preach the good Samaritan and they came up with a situation where there was someone hurting on their way to go preach so that they would come across them. And most of the students just kept on walking to go preach. And it's like, it's no use walking anywhere to preach unless our walking is our preaching. Mm. Come on. That's so good. That is so good. You know, I'm sitting here and I'm like, I could like talk to you like forever. First of all, let me start there because it's just, it's amazing how when you truly do uh, speak on the task and have a goal in mind of just pleasing God, um, the type of wisdom that you get from someone else, just conversation, you know, but as we begin to close, there are definitely two uh, key questions. They're like the enshrining questions that you get. It's like we enshrine you into the servant leader family by questions. Um, and, I, and I do believe already I'm anticipating these answers just because of 
the take you have on servant leadership and the take you have on his call on your life. The first thing is just, I do something that's called my God is devotion. Okay. You know, in the mornings, you know, I'll listen to my podcast. I pray, I listen to my Bible plan, but what gets me up and what kind of starts my day is remembering who God is to me. And when I do that, the reminder is that he's endless, right? Because I'll find myself just saying what he is and then I'll be like, okay, wait, I got to go to work. <laughs> you know, I got to get in the shower. But it reminds me that I don't care how many things I say that he is, it's never going to run dry. And so I'll say God is, and I'll start listing them out. Sometimes I write it, but majority of the time, I'm just saying it to see how far I can go. Well, today you only get one. You don't get a list. So if I said God is, and I drew a blank, how would servant leader Julie Fournier say and feel that blank? God is what? I'm going to go with God is good. Come on. He's so good. You look at the word gospel literally means good news. And that's all the Bible is. It's just full of good news. So God is I love it. And see, I could take off on that. I try my best. See, that's the problem. Y'all say stuff, get me going. And can you just imagine, I tell people all the time, people are thrown off because they feel that the word of God, prayers of God, talking about God has to be this huge thesis, right? This huge grand gesture talk. And it's like, no, but can you just think about just those three words? God is good, right? And I was just talking to my brother about this earlier today. And when you think back, I tell people all the time, when I think back, I can't help but thank him. Sometimes if you just take a moment and think about why he's good, like just travel back to those moments of the pain that work for our good. Take a moment back to those moments of adversity that work for our good. And now think where we are now. And so when you hear God is good to someone else, it may seem simplistic, but those three words kind of hit you and pierce your heart because it's like, I know how good he's been to me. You don't have time to hear how good he's been to me. (laughs) So I think that is amazing, definitely. And of course, servant leadership. This is a servant leader where servant leadership is at the forefront, the core, all the way around what we do creating a space where Christ can use amazing servant leaders like yourself to come on, exude, not just talk about, but exude and motion and emulate and give an example of what servant leadership is. I'm on a mission to create the longest and truest definition, the greatest like professional development to Christian leaders on this podcast. If I were to ask you servant leadership, two words that take on so many different meetings, but it's a servant leader, Julie Fournier. Servant leadership, how would you define it for yourself? I think servant leadership is making cuts to the back of the line, just being willing to be last and put others first. See, I knew it. I knew it. Like, I knew it. (laughs) It's just something about it. Like, I knew that you would give me something so impactful so, and one that we haven't heard that before, but I think that's amazing, right? Because normally we hear people cutting the line, where are they going? To the front. How to get ahead, to get in the front, right? But that I'm okay with cutting to the back of the line so that I can allow others to move forward, to catapult forward. That's powerful, I can't with you, Julie. That's amazing. Yeah, we could talk all day. <laughs> no, surely. And and trust, I, you know, I'm always open. Uh, like I tell people all the time, I'm always open available for any servant that comes on here. But something tells me that you'll be one that I'll definitely stay in contact with uh, for sure. But, you know, I just want to take the time to thank you uh, for just your message, for your humility that is screaming so loud. First of all, uh, it's just so amazing how going through all of the fruits of the spirit, you know, I didn't put them down and say, okay, I'll put this person here. I'll put this person here. Christ showed me who to reach out to and he placed you all. And it's amazing because when we come on and begin to speak, 
I'm shown why. And as soon as we got on today, it's like, yep, that's why you gave her gentleness because it truly is just all over you. So I appreciate you just for the person that you are. I appreciate the servant leader that you are and the work that you're doing uh, to just move this agenda forward and to build up his kingdom. And I just thank you for being on with us today. Yeah, well, thank you. And thanks for everything that you're doing. I mean, you embody the servant leader and, you know, you spend so much time uplifting and inspiring people and you make such a big difference. I appreciate that, Julie. Julie, do you mind closing us out with a prayer before we get off today? Sure. All right, God, we just want to thank you so much for these moments we got to share today. Thank you for everything that you're doing in our lives. We ask that you would keep us all safe and healthy and help us to be better servant leaders. Amen. Amen. My favorite line of the show and of this call, Julie Fournier, you are now a part of the servant leader family. We enshrine you. We welcome you in. You're strengthening our ranks and we're so glad to have you join us in this movement of just creating better and God's servants in every realm. Well, thank you so much. This was awesome. (laughs) Likewise.